0: Hello my lovely people and welcome to The Fletcher Files, a murder she wrote podcast with your host Monty. <laughs> this week we will be talking about Magnum on Ice, season 3, episode 8, first aired November 23rd, 1986. Now, this is part 2 of a two-part crossover episode with Magnum PI. Get it? Magnum on ice, you'll get it. Anyway, <laughs> so part one is available exclusively on Patreon. That is novel connection. This part is a continuation. Now, just before we get into it, get into it. The interesting thing is, originally it was a to-be continued. However, when the shows each went into syndication, the Magnum P.I. episode became a standalone episode, meaning that it ends with an actual conclusion. It doesn't end with a cliffhanger leading it into the Murder, She Wrote episode. However, the Murder, She Wrote episode has a summary of what happened in the Magnum P.I. episode with the cliffhanger ending and then going into the Murder, She Wrote episode. So you can watch the Magnum P.I. episode and not watch the Murder, She Wrote episode. Why would you do that? I do not understand. But <laughs> you can also watch the Murder, She Wrote episode in and of itself. However, you should watch both. Even with the complete ending on Magnum P.I., you should watch both, like honestly. Now, Magnum P.I. was in season seven and Murder, She Wrote was in season three. And I believe this is the only crossover episode in the Murder, She Wrote series. So... This was to, I guess, increase viewership for Murder, She Wrote. It is a different type of person, I'm sure, who was watching Murder, She Wrote than was watching Magnum P.I. and vice versa. But they wanted to expand the viewership, which actually this makes sense. As I've said before, it would also make sense for her to have done a crossover with Matlock in the 90s. They were both out in the 90s. And Perry Mason with regard to the movies. Now, it could not have been a crossover from TV show to TV show because Perry Mason at that time was all movies. But Jessica could have made an appearance on there. And how could we forget? We didn't forget. I just didn't get to him yet. Diagnosis murder with Dick Van Dyke. Like any of those three. Jessica Fletcher could have done a crossover and it would have been perfection. But we got what we got. We got Tom Selleck with his amazing mustache and his short shorts, like in Hawaii. Like, come on now, just perfection. (laughs) Anyway, let's get into this. So the IMDB summary reads, Jessica comes to the assistance of Magnum when he's framed for two murders that occurred during her vacation in Hawaii in Novel Connection. Now, we have a few returners, and then we'll go into all the characters. Now, there are some characters from the Magnum P.I. universe that were in the first one that are not in the second one, that being TC and Rick, who are his, you know, besties there. So our first returner, We have five, actually, Raymond Byrie, and we will remember him as Pat Phillips, the track security in Dead Heat. In this episode, he is Captain Browning. Now, although he is in maybe two or three more Murder, She Wrote episodes, he is a recurring character. In Magnum P.I. Like that's his day job. okay. Magnum P.I. is his bread and butter. So he was doing a guest star appearance on Murder, She Wrote, but he was already established in Magnum P.I., if I remember correctly. Next, we have Jared Martin, and we will remember him as Spencer Langley from It's a Dog's Life. So he was the brother to Morgana. And what was the other one? And the drunk, right? So they had the spiritualist and they had the drunk sister. He was the brother. In that episode, he had hooked up with, what was that guy's name? The Farmer Potts, right? To try to make Teddy seem like He was unfit. He's a dog, okay? Anyway, yeah, that scam, scandal, that did not work. Anyway, so in this episode, he plays Arthur Houston. We then have John McMartin, who also goes by John Martin, I believe. We will recognize him as Gavin Daniels from Tough Guys Don't Die. Now, he was the professor that was... Previously married to Priscilla, but then they got divorced and they were still kind of in a relationship and she wanted to get into political office, but wanted to see if her previous abortion would be found out. And that's why they hired um, Archie Miles from Miles and McGraw to see if he could find that information out. In this episode, he plays Jason Bryan. Then we have Andrew Prine or Prine, And we will recognize him as Professor Todd Lowry from Lovers and Other Killers. So he was the guy who was cheating on his wife with... Lila, the murder victim slash student slash blackmailer situation. Anyway, in this episode, he plays Victor Saylor. And finally, last but definitely by no means least, we have Jessica Walter. And we will remember her as Joyce Holleran. From Murder in the Afternoon. She was the writer of Our Secret Lives. And yeah, yeah, the victim in that. Clearly, we also know her from all of the television series and episodes she has been in throughout her illustrious career, which only ended this year, 2021 when she passed away. So we will always remember her as a great actress. And in this episode, she plays Joan Fulton. Now each of these returners were in part one, Novel Connection. Now the entire cast consists of, of course, Jessica and Magnum, Thomas Magnum specifically, Captain Browning, Amy Saylor, Pamela Bates, Arthur Houston, Jason Bryan, Victor Saylor, Joan Fulton, Jonathan Higgins, and Lieutenant Tanaka. So in Novel Connection, the Magnum PI episode, season seven, episode eight, but if you are looking for it on Prime, you have to pay for it, but okay, It is actually listed as episode 136, season seven. They number their episodes for this series, one through the very end. So it's not one through 24 and then season two, one through 24. They just continue the numbers. So if you're looking for it on Prime, it is season seven, episode 136, Novel Connection. So... A quick synopsis of what happened there. Jessica is called in via letter. Actually, I don't think there was a phone call. She might have sent a letter. <laughs> Pamela is a friend of Jessica's. Pamela sent basically a 911 to Jessica. And she believed that someone was trying to kill her, that being Pamela. Pamela had been invited to Hawaii to visit robin masters who is thomas magnum and jonathan higgins employer right and the running joke in the actual magnum pi series is that no one ever sees robin they always talk about him but they never actually see him ever okay ever Correct me if I'm wrong, but that's the whole thing. Like they, no one ever sees Robin. Everybody knows him. No one ever sees him, but he allegedly exists. And he is an author. Now, I don't know if that's how it goes in the series, but for the purposes of novel connection, he is an author and Pamela is his editor. And I think right now she works for his publisher. But at one point in his early career, she edited his original works. So he invited her out because he is finalizing another novel. And Pamela takes it upon herself to invite Joan. I don't know how they know each other. But she invites Joan and Joan invites her secretary, Amy. So the three of them are being driven from the airport by Higgins when they're run off the road. Pamela assumes that it's about her and we find out in Novel Connection why she thinks that. You have to listen to the review to find out. (laughs) And Joan Actually, Joan doesn't believe that she's the one that they're trying to murder in Novel Connection. But Jessica... Actually, no. I don't think Jessica figured that out either. I think it was Magnum on his own believes that Joan was the target. And Higgins believes he was the target. And... Jessica believes that Amy may have been the target of this attempted assassination because there is a second attempt. So running off the road did not work. Someone fires into Robin's house when the entire cast is basically in there. There's Jason Bryan, there's Joan, Amy, Pamela, Higgins, Magnum, and Jessica. They're all in there. A shot is fired and the guy gets away. So based on these two attempts, um, they know that someone is going to be murdered. They just don't know who it is. Everyone has their theories. Finally, we are at the way this novel connection ends, right? Right? is that everybody is at Jason Bryan's house for a party. And Magnum is like, Joan is the person who the assassin is trying to kill because he went to the hotel that they were originally supposed to be staying at looking for Joan. And the only reason he would be looking for someone is because they were the target he was supposed to murder. So Jessica's still a little skeptical, but she gets on board. The hired killer is at this party. And long story short, Magnum gives chase. The guy shoots at Magnum. Magnum shoots back at him. And the guy is hit and killed immediately. Now, Novel Connection closes up this episode. Right, so all is well at the end of the Magnum PI episode. If you want to know how that ends, you can subscribe to my Patreon and hear the entire review. Anyway, so that is how Magnum PI's novel connection ends. Now we start with a review at the beginning of Murder She Wrote. Now, the way it's run back on Murder She Wrote. It ends with the the assassin, whose name was Mayfield, shot in the back, laying face down, no weapon to be found, and Magnum is immediately put under arrest. So that is the ending that was aired on TV. And that is how we are leading into this episode of Murder, She Wrote. So we open up at the precinct with Lieutenant Tanaka, Magnum, and Jessica is in the background and Captain Browning comes in during this conversation. And Magnum is trying to explain to Lieutenant Tanaka that Mayfield shot at him first, he fired back, and that was that. But Lieutenant Tanaka is like, but he was shot in the back and they only heard two shots and no gun was recovered. So this isn't looking good for Magnum in general. But by the tone of Tanaka and Captain Browning, who comes in in a second, but we've dealt with him almost the entire previous episode, they clearly have a contentious relationship. Tanaka is just trying to do his job he really is he it don't seem like he can't either way he doesn't necessarily really like magnum he doesn't particularly dislike him he's just doing his job captain browning has like a personal dispute with magnum that magnum knows about but just does not give into right <laughs> it's like I'm going to still be a problem for you. I'm going to still do my job and be a private investigator. I don't care if it makes you uncomfortable or you're upset about it. Now, I don't know what the background is because I did not actually watch Magnum PI. So, yeah, I don't know what that's based off of. If you know, let me know on Instagram or Facebook. (laughs) So Captain Browning comes over into the conversation and he's like, Mayfield was a blue ribbon citizen. He was a guest at the party. He was unarmed and he was shot in the back by this, I quote, drugstore cowboy, end quote. I have no idea what that means, but okay. And Jessica's like, do you have ballistics? like what are you even talking about? How do you know that it was magnum and it wasn't somebody else, right? And so they're like, no, we don't have ballistics, but they were two forty five caliber shell casings found and Magnum was carrying a 45 caliber handgun so. It came out of the same clip, which I'm like, mm, okay, y'all, y'all assuming that perhaps there were two bullets missing and you're assuming that they were both sh- fired at the same time. But okay, so he's convinced. The next scene, we are back at Robin's house and Jessica pulls up in a taxi to find Higgins packing up luggage into the car and she's asking what's going on. Higgins is asking, where is Magnum? Like, you're clearly not here with him. What's, you know, what's the deal? Pamela then comes out and she tells her, oh, I packed for you. We're moving to the Royal Hawaiian. And, you know, because this whole episode is over, that man is dead. So everything is fine. We can go on with our vacation. And Jessica's like, uh... Yeah, okay. I know that I said that I would go back with you to New York for this morning, but like the circumstances have changed. And so, Pamela, now I discussed this in the novel connection review, but I'll tell you this now Pamela is trash. Okay. She is a terrible person. Now, Spoiler, she did not murder anybody. But she is just so delusional and in her head and rude and disrespectful that it's outrageous. She how is she friends with Jessica? Because she must wear some sort of mask when she's with Jessica because she is entitlement at its finest. Like open the dictionary and Maybe she was one of the original Karens. Like, maybe that is it. Like, I don't know. But she is trash. Anyway. And I'm like, you out here packing other people's bags, do not touch my stuff. Do not touch my stuff. Like, I understand that you think it's okay, but you're going to go in my room. in my in this... Oh, God. Into this room that I'm staying in, right? And actually touch my stuff, put it into bags and be like, oh, we're leaving? Like, we didn't even have a discussion. Why are you touching my stuff? Okay, <laughs> like, is all my cash there? No, I don't think she was still cash. But I'm like, honestly, you have personal stuff in your room and a whole mess because she, Pamela, has decided For these adult women that they are now going to the Royal Hawaiian. And in the first part of the episode, we find out that Pamela was invited to stay at the house. But that Joan and Amy were going to stay at the Royal Hawaiian. But once they came to the house after almost being run off the road, Pamela, not asking Robin, who's not there. So, you know, clearly didn't call him or anything. Without asking Higgins, without speaking with Magnum or anybody, is like, no, y'all are staying here, cancel your reservations at the hotel, it's not safe. Who are you to make these decisions for these grown women? And how are you opening this man's house up to strangers? You invited these two people, did not even let Robin know, because he did not know, according to Higgins, they're like rolling with the punches here and then not only do you invite them on this trip but you then put them up in somebody else's house without their permission outrageous anyway so Jessica's like listen I'm gonna get cleaned up because she's still dressed for the party I'm gonna get cleaned up can you please drop me off at Jason Bryan's house and take the ladies to the Royal Hawaiian. Okay, that's what we'll do and we'll figure it out from there. Higgins is still concerned that somebody else may be sent because he still believes that because of his colorful past, he is the target of the assassin and that another one will be sent to finish the job. Now, Jessica also believes that this isn't over And whoever the target is, is still in danger. But Jessica's being polite. She's like, "Uh, yeah, so why would you think that they would send someone to murder you all this time later? Yeah. (laughs) What she wanted to say was, Higgins, ain't nobody trying to murder you. Okay? Okay. I appreciate that you think highly of yourself, as you should, but not so highly that you think that there are people from your past that would send an assassin to murder you. And also, why would they wait until there were three additional people in your vehicle? They could get you at any time because Robin is never home. Magnum is living his best life in Hawaii and in his shorts. Okay, so... Why would they wait until now? Like, I think she meant that twofold. Like, not just all these years later. But why would they wait until now when there's so many more people around who could get in the way of their assassination attempt? It doesn't make sense. But he is dead set on believing that he is the target because he wants to feel special. So, okay. Okay, Higgins. Okay. So, the next scene, we are at Jason Bryan's house. Jessica is left to her own devices because he is on the telephone. She uses this opportunity to sneak around to where the shooting occurred. Why there is not like crime scene tape and it's blocked off and stuff like that. I'm assuming it's because Jason Bryan has a lot of money and he wasn't going to put up with the the police staying any longer than they needed to and cleaning that situation up the same day. I'm going to guess that. But she goes over and she finds a shell casing from a bullet inside the shed that Mayfield was standing next to when he shot at Magnum. And she secures this bullet and then makes her way back out just in time to find Jason Bryan out there looking for her and she was like oh I was just admiring all your lovely plants that's so great they're pretty so anyway what we find out from this is that Jason did not know Mayfield and that the reason he was invited to the party is because the person that Jason was throwing the party for or on their behalf because he's in public relations must have put that person on the guest list. It was not Jason's guest list. It was his client's guest list. But he would not tell Jessica who he arranged the party for. But she already has an inkling about who it is. The next scene, we're at the precinct and Jessica has brought the 9 millimeter shell casing to Captain Browning. He's like, yeah, but he was killed with a forty-five. That's what Magnum was carrying. And Jessica's like, no, this proves that Mayfield shot at Magnum as he said, that's what happened first. This is the shell casing from the gun. And Captain Browning's like, did you find a gun? Did you find a nine millimeter gun? She's like, no. He's like, well, then it doesn't exist. (laughs) Because the truth of the matter is, what he is saying is that that bullet that Casing held could have been fired at any previous point without finding a gun in that vicinity, which would lend itself more so to Mayfield having had a gun, just basically doesn't prove anything. It doesn't put a gun in Mayfield's hand. It doesn't firing it at Magnum. So it is extremely important evidence that she removed from the scene without anyone taking photos. But the best part about this, the best part about this is that earlier Captain Browning was like, You know, we went over that place. We didn't find any shell casings. We went over it with a metal detector. But clearly they did not look inside the shed because the bullet casing was right there. So, and it wouldn't have been planted because the person wants to set Magnum up. They would have recovered it just the same way they took the gun. They would have taken the shell casing. They must not have been able to find it. But obviously the police didn't take that metal detector everywhere because Jessica easily found the shell casing based on the trajectory from the gun. And the police, if they were listening to Magnum and believed him, they would have been able to find it. But they didn't believe that Mayfield ever had a gun so there was no need to try to figure out where a shell casing would have been discharged so that they could find it. They probably just went around his body if they even brought a metal detector. I don't even know if that's true because they may have just been like I don't see no gun so clearly he didn't shoot him. Captain Browning is still of the opinion that the two shots everybody heard that is one thing that is very consistent that there were two shots. Captain Browning's position is that those two shots that everybody heard were both from Magnum's gun. Additionally, they found two 45 caliber shells. So that makes sense that he shot twice, I guess shot at the guy. And then when the guy went to run, shot him in the back. I'm assuming that's what their conclusion is. So Jessica asks to speak with Magnum and Captain Browning's like, no. And so Jessica pulls the, I am a friend of the governor card. Okay. She does not do this often. She doesn't. It takes a lot for her to pull her, I know somebody important card. Right. But she does. And she does. I, I'm so proud that she did it because this was the exact situation where she needed to pull that card and how smoothly she pulled it out and presented it to Captain Downing. I keep calling him Captain Downing. Please forgive me. That is the name of the character on Murder Takes the Bus. That was Captain Downing. (laughs) Okay. Please forgive me. So it might sound like Browning. It may sound like Downing. I realize that. I'm going to try to do better. But mm, I'm aware of it. (laughs) Anyway, I disliked Browning. So maybe that's why I keep messing up his name. Not that Captain Downing, the fake, was any better. But um, yeah, so I, I do realize that. And I apologize. So She pulls this out and I'm just like, clap, 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 standing ovation. This was so perfect, so perfect. So of course he lets her speak with Magnum and Jessica breaks the news to him that bail has not been set because there has not been a bail hearing. So he's gonna have to continue to cool his jets and that based on... Her conversation with Jason, he arranged a party for someone else, and she wanted to know if Magnum knew who he may have set the party up for. To which Magnum was like, Yeah, um, Arthur Houston, who owns Pack Isle Industries. Now, we are introduced to Pack Isle Industries in the first episode. So. <laughs> This all comes around. There's a lot of nice introduction situations in the first episode. So Jessica tells Magnum, hey, I'm going to go speak with Arthur Houston. And he's like, no, this is getting dangerous. Don't do that. And she's like, well, as a professional private investigator, what would you do now? And he's like, yeah, I would talk to Arthur Houston and get some answers. And she's like, well, since you can't do that, I'll go ahead and get that done. All right. Have a great day. Bye. (laughs) He's stuck. There is nothing he can do. There is nothing he can do. He is trying everything in his power to not have Jessica help him for whatever reasons. That is definitely a flaw. That's definitely a flaw. How I don't know if it's because he doesn't think she can do it. Or if he thinks she can do it, but that's going to make him look terrible that this woman of a certain age who is a novelist and not a licensed private investigator has solved this murder and he has not. So I, I don't know if it's an ego thing or what, but he is, try- he is so frustrated at the fact that he can't stop her. From solving this murder. And he needs her. That's the worst part for him. He needs her to do this. Because there's no way he can see his way to doing this. Because bail hasn't been set. Right? So he can't get bailed out. He's just sitting there cooling his heels. So the next scene. We are at Arthur Houston's house. With Jessica. Now he has an entire computer. Like straight up. Monitor. Like Like those of us who went to school in the nineties and they had a computer room right before or right at this time that Apple had the different color computers, right before that, the regular like Dell computers, they had like the full large monitor They had the hard drive was in a separate tower that most likely sat under the monitor sideways and a keyboard. Now, that tower had one for a 3.5 disc as well as the floppy disk. Okay, they didn't have CD situations going on. And that is what Arthur Houston has just in his backyard on a glass table. And I promise you, there is no way in this world that that computer was plugged in to anything, to any power source whatsoever. Like this was all for show because when they did show the screen of the monitor, it was blank. It was off, off blank, okay? It wasn't any sort of graphics, nothing. It was off, okay? Because it wasn't plugged into anything, and you'll see, like, they kind of zoomed in on his hands as he was looking up Amy Saylor's name because Jessica was like, I was she your employee? And he goes to check and I'm like, they don't show you the screen because the computer's not plugged into anything. In and of itself, it makes those click clacking sounds. You know? <laughs> so I was like, Who are you fooling? Like, who are you actually fooling? Like a whole mess. Anyway, so he's like, no, she did not work for me. I never met her. They said that she came to my building, but I never met her. And Jessica was like, well, she was at your party. And it must have been really awkward because the guy who was seen following her was also at your party. He then says, no, you're mistaken. That was Jason's party. To which Jessica is like, well, Jason indicated or intimated that it was your party. And so Arthur is clearly uncomfortable. And he was like, "Uh, he is mistaken. And basically, he kind of kicks Jessica out. So (laughs) he's like, oh, enjoy your time here, but don't make it too long. Our climate doesn't agree with everybody. I'm like, sir, 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 you and your unplugged-in computer can really kick rocks, okay? (laughs) A whole lie, a whole lie. So the next scene, we are at the Royal Hawaiian with Jessica and Higgins. And so Higgins tells Jessica that he discovered that morning that... Robin's gun cabinet was broken into and there was a an antique gun or a very special gun however he put it that was missing as well as a silencer and Jessica was like it was a 45 automatic and Higgins is like yes how did you know and so she's like that is how someone else shot Mayfield While we only heard two shots, one of which was Mayfield firing at Magnum and one of Magnum shooting at Mayfield. The third shot, the kill shot from behind Mayfield must have come from the 45 with the silencer. Now, the fact is a silencer does not silence. It suppresses the sound. But People were so far away that they would not have heard it. However, Magnum probably should have heard that bullet even with the silencer or sound suppressor is more accurate. It's still loud. So he should have heard it. But if it was around the corner, then the way like sound moves and stuff like that, he may not have heard it either. Clearly, he didn't hear it. Okay. (laughs) Clearly, he didn't hear it. So Jessica brings up the fact that if the gun was stolen, and we don't know when because Higgins hadn't been checking the gun cabinet, right? Because they had all these additional guests in the house. He thought someone was trying to murder him. He had to also try to protect the ladies. So he was really not caring about securing a locked gun cabinet and checking to make sure it was still locked. So Jessica concludes, though, it had to be one of the ladies because who else had access to the house that could have stolen the gun? And so now this is very uncomfortable. So then Pamela comes in and she's looking for Amy because she has a package Amy asked her to hold, a cookbook for her aunt Grace, and she was looking for her to return it. And I'm like wouldn't Amy find you when she needed it back? Yeah, that's how that works. Like, why are you looking for her if she gave it to you to hold until she came to get it back? I told you, Pam, Pamela ain't got no sense. So she's rude and disrespectful and ain't got no sense, which makes her even worse. That is why she's trash. Like, you don't even have sense enough to be a reasonable functioning human being anyway so she then like helps herself to the mini bar in Jessica's room I'm like you know she gotta pay for that Pam Pam is your name on that hotel room are you covering incidentals because you surely went right over to that mini bar and broke on open uh, a bottle of liquor I'm like they charge people for that Or is this like the rich, rich room where everything is included? So like, you don't have to pay extra for that. Anyway, so Jessica picks it up and she's like, oh, this is very light for a cookbook. It might be a, it must be a diet cookbook. And like, ha ha ha. And she's like, it rattles too. So she hands it to Higgins who opens it. And it's a case, like a velvet case. And so... Jessica opens the case to find a diamond necklace at this point Amy walks in and I'm like Amy is walking into Jessica's room like where are we like are we at the house or are we at the hotel like I thought we were at the hotel and this was Jessica's room because they're walking around real free I'm like how are you just coming into Jessica's room <laughs> I don't know maybe I am confused about where we are at but Amy walks up to them and snatches her stuff back and looks to Pam, and it's like, "If I asked you to hold a package, I don't expect you to open it. Thank you," and walks out. I'm like, she is 100 percent right. She is 100 percent right. The fact that and I don't like that Jessica participated in this, I think Pamela set it up for Jessica or Higgins to open it because she didn't want to do it herself, but this whole thing was a setup for to find out what was in that that box. She Pamela had at least enough sense to know that that wasn't a cookbook. But she didn't have enough sense to know that she should mind her business. That she she does not have sense enough to know to mind her own business. And Jessica that wasn't right. You can't be opening people's packages. I don't care if that thing is not ticking. You should not open it. And if it is ticking, you need to call the bomb squad to take care of it. Okay? Because maybe it's a clock in there, maybe it's a whole bomb. I don't know, but that is the only situation or if it's um or if you can hear something breathing or um making animal noises. Like <laughs> if it appears alive in a box or And if it does, call animal control because it could be a dangerous animal. So there is actually no situation where you should be opening a package that is not yours at all because either the bomb squad's gonna take care of it or animal control. So the police or animal control. Other than that, it's none of your business. Anyway, once she walks off, Jessica says, oh, secretaries must be making a lot more today than they did back in my day. Jessica, no, no. It's bad enough that you opened that woman's package or assisted in opening that woman's package. But the fact that you would say that is rude. And that's surprising because you're typically not someone that like punches down, as they say. You usually are super good friends and close and respectful to everybody, whether they are poor or super wealthy, whether they have clout or not. But I didn't like this. I didn't like this because the fact is you already know from episode one, Amy was wearing this beautiful diamond ring. And it was real. Jessica could tell that that ring was real. Now you already know that she was wearing a very large, very good quality diamond ring. You also noticed that she had a wedding ring tan or lack of a tan, right, line on her finger in addition to what appeared to be like an engagement ring. It was kind of shaped like a sun, but you know, it was clearly an engagement ring and she had a wedding ring on at some long enough to have a tan line. So you knew she was married. Okay. Why couldn't she have a wealthy husband? Why couldn't she have wealthy parents? Why couldn't she have won the lottery? Why would you even say that? That wasn't even necessary. Like that was mean. To be like, oh, secretaries must make more now than they did in my day. It, it did not feel like funny or light or whatnot. It felt mean and really like punching down. And Jessica is better than that. So I 100% blame the writers for putting that line in. But Jessica then says, let me go speak with her. So there's another scene that's spliced in real quick. But we then go and see Amy and Jessica sitting outside. Amy is like, the necklace was an heirloom for my grandmother. Because that's a real thing. Just because she's currently a secretary doesn't mean that she didn't have some big corporate job and got that money herself. So I hadn't even thought of that possibility till now. Like, just because she's a secretary now... Maybe she had a really high paying job that was just super stressful, made millions of dollars and was like, you know what? I'm just going to be a travel secretary because I need to get away from my crazy abusive husband and this is the best way to do it. I don't need all that money. I'm good to go. So anyway, so we find out that Amy ran away from her abusive husband and he threatened to kill her. So she she didn't have time to wait for a divorce. She just needed to get out of Dodge. And that the necklace is the only thing she has of value that she can use to start a new life. And so she thought that Mayfield had been sent by her husband to find her since she had that necklace, right? So... And she had reason, and we'll see in a few minutes, she had reason to be scared about that. And we also find out from her that the reason she went to Pack Isle Inter- Industries is because Joan asked her to deliver an envelope there for Arthur Houston. And that she, it was sealed, so she had no idea what was in it. And that when she saw Mayfield, she automatically thought that her husband had sent him And that's why she ran off scared, and she did not tell the police that she went to Pack Isle Industries because Joan had said, "This is confidential. Don't tell anybody." So she was for real, ride or die. She was like, "I ain't tell. I'm not even telling the police because this is confidential." Not for nothing. That's a good friend to have, okay. You're like, oh, oh, she said not to tell. Now, now I'm going to tell Jessica because it's Jessica and it's all right to tell her. But I'm not telling the actual factual police that I was dropping off a letter to Pack isle Industries. (laughs) That's ride or die. That's ride or die for you. So the next scene, Jessica and Amy are returning to the hotel and I believe Higgins has joined them at this point. And Joan is coming down the stairs. No, Higgins was coming down the stairs, I think, near Joan or at the same time as Joan. And Joan is like, surprise, there's someone here to see you. And it's Victor, her husband. Amy is like, how did you find out where? And she just runs off. She just literally like does a one-two step to the right and takes off walking. And Jessica, who knows the deal, is like, "What are you doing here?" And um, Victor says, "Oh, she must be so embarrassed. She just ran off, meaning from home, and didn't leave a note or call or any or leave word at all. And you know, now I, I found her, and you know, she she must be so ashamed or whatnot." And Jessica's like, "Uh, then how did you find her?" And he says, oh, well, a friend saw her and gave me a call. So Jessica is very suspicious. And Joan is just watching this in the background. (laughs) She is legit like watching Victor in the background. And so Jessica is like, listen, um, you know, she is very upset right now. Maybe you should wait t- until tomorrow and give her a call. And you can see the anger just boiling under his skin as he's like, you, you may be right. I think you're right. Um, okay, thank you. And walks out of the hotel. And Joan is like, oh, I don't get it. If she doesn't want him, you know, like basically I'll take him. Girl, he is clearly abusive. Okay, okay if you could not see how angry he actually was when he was having that conversation with Jessica, then I don't know, girl. You need to, your hormones are just on a thousand right now, girl. Put that, (laughs) you better get yourself on a pill and regulate that. (laughs) (laughs) That's a whole mess. That's a whole mess. Like I understand your husband passed away three months ago. We find that out in the first episode, right? I told you there was a lot of introduction in the Magnum P.I. episode. But you are just real, as they say, hot in the pants, okay? (laughs) Calm down, calm down. Now, I will tell you, Joan is actually not the person who reached out to Victor to tell him that Amy was there. So I think originally, when I watched this maybe the first time, I assumed because Joan was like, surprise, see who's, you know, he's here to see you. That she was the one who contacted him. And it's just like, oh, that's so nice that he came looking for her. It was actually not Joan who made the phone call to Victor. So she has at least that. I can't even say it's a redeeming quality. I don't even know if she knew that was an option. So. But at least she did not do that. At least she is not the person who put Amy in danger. So the next scene, we are at the jail. And Jessica and Higgins are there to visit Magnum. Um, We find out that bail has been set at $100,000. Now Higgins tells this to Jessica. And Joan is, again, like chilling in the background. Okay, (laughs) just watching this whole situation. And I will say this. Joan's dress, like her outfits this entire two episodes are just perfection, okay? For the time, for her status in society, for the events, for the weather, just on point. And I tell you, like their costume people, nine times out of 10 are just on the nose. Just like absolutely on point point now sometimes makeup has Jessica looking real crazy but I will say (laughs) her clothes are always on point and they really do take care of the other actresses and actors as well with their their clothing design their it's appropriate for the occasion for the weather For um, the actual character. You know. It's something that this character. With this personality would wear. And how they would present themselves. This was definitely. One of. um, A noticeable. High quality. Costuming. For. Especially for Joan. Especially for Joan. And of course for Jessica. But especially for Joan. So. We find out at the jail scene. Now going back to the jail scene. (laughs) Just as an aside. I wonder if. Well no. Like I said. Murder She Wrote definitely has some great costuming. And I'm wondering if they joined forces with Magnum P.I.'s costume uh, people. Or if they just dressed their own characters. So Murder She Wrote costuming did their costuming and Magnum P.I. costuming did theirs. I don't know. I think that would just be interesting to know. Anyway, so we find out that Higgins could not reach Robin. Okay, so he's trying to do that so that they can get the money to bail Magnum out. And Magnum is frustrated, but I'm like, dude, you know that Robin is never around. (laughs) So my question is, why don't they just get in contact? Because he was supposed to come from Greece. Like he, Robin is in Greece, but I'm like, so he couldn't call his accountant to get this money ready for like, okay, you guys can spend up to $200,000 to bail Magnum out. Like that's terrible. He kind of just left them in the lurch and was like, I'm staying in Greece. Okay. Figure it out. Good luck. Godspeed. So, like, a whole mess. Anyway, so the next scene, we are back at the hotel and we're in Joan's room. And Joan is trying to get the uh, hotel employee to give her a massage. And I'm like, Joan, your hormones are showing. Like, honestly, cover it up. Okay. (laughs) You are parched. Okay. You are thirsty beyond thirsty. Okay. And wow. Wow. Anyway, the guy was taking the $20. He was about to give her a massage when Jessica knocks on the door and he is like, thank you. For saving me. (laughs) Because he surely slipped by Jessica having taken the $20 and was like, you have a great day, ma'am. And walks out tucking that $20 in his shirt pocket. Sir, you don't get that $20 without feeling me up. Like that is the whole (laughs) point. (laughs) So, you know, Joan is kind of salty about this. Anyway, so Jessica is looking for Amy. Amy. And Joan is like, I don't know where she's at, honestly. And so Jessica's like, well, I think that you, or Magnum thinks, I, I forget how she puts it, that you were the target of Mayfield. And do you know, like, who would want to target you to murder you? And Jessica indicates that maybe it was Arthur Houston, in Pack Isle Industries because Amy had said that she had delivered a letter on her behalf, her being Joan's behalf. And Joan was like, no, I don't see why he would want to do that. I've been negotiating with him to sell my husband's company. Well, actually it was their company. I don't want to, everyone was like her husband had a company, but, or her husband left her a company." And Which would indicate that he was running the company and now she is left with it. But we find out that she, had, she was more involved with the running of this company even when her husband was alive. But she says that she was negotiating the sale of it because it's an electronics company and they own some very valuable patents. They were just finalizing the sale. So... You know, why would Arthur want to kill her? There wasn't a need for that. And Jessica's like, well, I have reason to believe that Mayfield worked for Arthur Houston. So they kind of leave it at that. The next scene, Jessica is going to Arthur Houston's house to have a follow-up conversation with him. Now that she's spoken with Joan, who says that she was selling the company to him. And the police are there and there's an ambulance there. Come to find out, Arthur Houston had been murdered that day. He was shot in the back with a 45. And conveniently enough, a Detroit Tigers baseball cap is found next to the dead body. Now, we are in Hawaii and the only person who famously wears a Detroit Tigers cap is magnum so yeah shot in the back with a 45 and his most favorite and only one on the island who wears this hat is next to the dead body and i'm like y'all are so i won't say y'all captain browning is so hell bent on you know just messing with magnum like the jealousy is just like so real like it's just so real is it the mustache is it the curly hair is it the beautiful legs like is it what is it what is it what is it sir why are you so mad at him that you would clearly see this was a setup okay this is just Has set up written all over his baseball cap is right next to the dead body. He didn't pick up his baseball cap. That has his DNA. Now I understand it's 1986, but that has his DNA on it. Okay. It has his sweat, his hair, all of that stuff on it. Just perfectly placed next to the body. Wouldn't it be upside down because it flipped off? Like how did it even come off? This doesn't even make sense. It's a setup. It's clearly a setup, but... Clearly, the captain is just so jealous of Magnum that his hatred of him is blinding him to the fact that this is a setup. Anyway, okay. (laughs) So Jessica was like, oh, well, you know what? It couldn't have been Magnum because like he was in jail and... (laughs) To which Captain Browning says, no, he was bailed out a few hours ago. So he could have done this. He would have had to do it super quick, come here immediately, but it is possible. So Jessica's like, damn it. (laughs) So Jessica goes to the hotel and she's running a bath and she's trying to figure out what's the what. And how she can now help. Now that there are two murders... That Magnum has been framed for. Which is obvious to anybody who does not hate him. Fair. And Magnum sneaks into her room. And she's like oh my god. Like in her robe. And she had. She she had walked into his room when he was in a robe. In the first episode. So she's like okay now we're even. My bad. And Jessica explains that his hat was left there at the murder scene. And they figure out the last time he wore it was when all of the ladies first arrived at Robin's house. And so Jessica says, well, you know what that means. If the hat was stolen way back then, before Mayfield was murdered, that there was always a plan to set Magnum up for the murder of Arthur Houston. Now, that means that Mayfield was an inconvenience, right? but that the actual target was Arthur Houston, and that that murder was planned far in advance because the hat was stolen. We find out that Magnum does not have an alibi, that he went to Robin's estate to find Higgins and Higgins was not there. So he does not have an alibi for that period of time, which was also set up by the murderer clearly. So he wouldn't have an alibi. He needed to be out of jail in order for this setup to work. And they had to be in possession of that 45 caliber gun, the silencer and the hat to set up the murder of Arthur Houston. And they just happened to have a bonus murder of Mayfield. So later that evening at the hotel, they're having a fire dancer ceremony event situation. And Pam And Jason are speaking with each other. They look up and see Jessica. Now Jessica does not see them at first. She's watching the fire dancer. She's looking around. And they look shocked. Especially Pam. So you think that something shady is going on over there. Because they both look shocked to see Jessica. But they call her over. And she's like, oh, well, what were you guys talking about? And they're like, oh, we were talking about the news you know, of Arthur Houston being killed. And Jessica was like, oh yes, this must be so terrible for you, Jason. I'm sure there was going to be some sort of commission if the deal went through. Jason's like, what deal are you talking about? And so Jessica says, well, Joan said that she was selling her company and you were the middleman. To which Jason was like, oh, she told you? Well, listen, it did not work out. We would have gotten this done weeks ago, but she kept raising her price, she considers herself a shrewd businesswoman, but she really ruined this. To which Jessica says, well, maybe she was shrewder than you gave her credit for. And so he's like, yeah, okay, and leave. <laughs> Like, did you ever think that she was raising the price because she actually knew the value of her company and you guys assumed because she was a woman that she wouldn't know that you were trying to get over on her? Yeah, you're mad that she figured that out and she was smarter than you thought. Not shrewd, didn't ruin it, but she was smarter than you thought, smarter than you gave credit for. So you want to play it off like, oh, she's a woman. She doesn't know. She was raising the price when she shouldn't have. We could have been, we could have made this deal that would not have been to her benefit because. I'm sure she does know the value of her company and that's why she kept raising the price. We'll find out more about that in a little bit. So we find out when Pam and Jessica are left alone that Pam, because she ain't got no sense and she be in people's business instead of minding her own business and learning how to be a polite, functioning human being, she called Victor, Amy's husband After Amy told her that she was really going through something and she needed to get away from her husband, she said, well, when we got here, she looked so sad that I went ahead and called her husband, you know, um, but maybe I shouldn't have done that. No, you shouldn't have done that. If someone comes to you, now, I don't know how she know Amy. I really don't. I don't know what made Amy think that this woman had any sort of sense whatsoever. But she goes to you and she says, I need to flee from my husband. I need to get away for a period of time somewhere far, far away. Can you help me? Did you ever think that the reason that she was upset when you got to Hawaii is because she was nearly killed and she believed that her husband had sent someone to murder her. Is that a possibility that all of you were upset and scared after taking a leisurely drive and nearly being run off the road? Like uh, maybe that's why she was upset, not because she was missing her husband. She didn't even have time to process her feelings about the fact that she had to flee the country. not Okay, Hawaii is a part of the United States. I realize that. But the mainland, we'll say. She had to flee the mainland, okay, to get away from this psycho. And you're like, oh, you know, I believe in love. And so I called him and told him where she was. No, that wasn't any of your place. And you want to act all shy and like, oh, I shouldn't have done that. Should I? Oh, she could have been murdered. All of you could have been murdered. He is crazy. And we find out how crazy he is in like five, four, three, two, one. Okay. And that's the thing. You don't know the dynamic. If she asked you for help to get her out from mainland USA, then you do that. And you leave her to her business because she's an adult. If you didn't want to help, don't help. If you're thinking, oh, well, she's so sad. Why don't you talk to her? Why don't you have a conversation with her? Like, oh, why are you upset? Okay, is there anything I can do? But you take it upon yourself to find her husband's phone number and call him and tell him where she's at when she literally was fleeing the mainland to get away from him. Okay, who knows what she used to do, but she took a job as a traveling secretary to get away from this man. I'm telling you that Pam ain't got no sense whatsoever. Just a a home trash person. And now you may say, okay, well, that that's terrible to do. That's terrible to do. But why is she trash? As I said, you have to watch the first episode. Okay, you have to watch Novel Connection. And go to Patreon listen to my review. To understand why I am so passionate about how terrible of a person she is. Because she doesn't come across as, as terrible of a person when you just see her in this episode. But when you combine the two, you will understand where I am coming from. So anyway, the next scene, we're back in the hotel and Jessica is walking past Amy's room and she notices that the door frame is damaged, that someone has forced the door open. So Jessica walks in, which I'm like, girl, that is dangerous. The hotel room is trashed. It's clearly been searched. Jessica runs to make a call on the phone Amy walks in and she's like, what are you doing in here? I'm like, you know, Jessica ain't do all this. And so Jessica's like, oh my goodness, I came in the door. I saw the door was forced. So I came in and I came to call security, but someone has yanked the telephone cord out of the wall. And so Amy's like, oh my God, he's been here. And at this point now, I don't know where he came from. I don't know if he was in the closet, in the bathroom, outside of the door, in the hallway. I don't know where he came from. But he came like literally like around the corner or something and was like, I am still here. And he had a crowbar. When I tell you, when I tell you, this must have been a magnum P.I. scene because the level of aggressiveness, like the level of threat that he was making to her is way outside of what we would normally see on Murder, She Wrote, okay? Now, granted, people have threatened to shoot Jessica. They have held her at gunpoint, held her at knife point, held up a brass pipe or a lead pipe and threatened to brain her. Yeah, I understand that. But when I tell you this image of domestic violence is truly scary. OK, so he has a crowbar and he says, like, give me the diamond necklace. And she's like, you can have everything else. She's literally hiding behind Jessica. And she's like, you can have I gave you everything else. You can have everything else. This is all I want. And Victor is like, there is nothing else left. That's all that's left. And she's like, I'm not giving it to you. I'm not giving it to you. And he says, holding the crowbar, holding a crowbar, he says, this was very effective opening the door. I'm sure it'll be as effective opening a head. Okay. Like, wow. All right. So... At this point, Jessica is just like, oh my God. Like, this is way, 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 way more than I thought. And just like, I'm sure, you know, she, everybody's scared in this situation. But like, watching this, like, your heart just drops and like, oh my God. Like, what was happening in their household if he is this desperate that... He is willing to literally murder two people because he's like, you know what, Jessica, you need to stay out of this or Mrs. Fletcher, whatever. You need to stay out of this because bystanders are the ones that really get injured in these, situ- in these domestic situations. And I'm like, that is 100% true. And that's what makes this so scary because this whole scenario is a little too real Now, I'm wondering, like, whose family had a situation like this? Because it seemed really, really accurate to how dangerous domestic violence can be, period. But to think that, you know, a writer or writers are putting this scene together. And I'm sure there were people sitting at home in 1986, like, oh my goodness, like, this is terrible. This is, I couldn't even imagine this and thinking that this was just some creation in a writer's mind, not realizing that this is some people's real story, you know? Like, this is, it can be this violent and scary and this, like, this got real, okay? <laughs> this, this got real for Sunday evening and so... Jessica then says, well, there's someone behind you. There's someone behind you. And he doesn't believe her. It's like, yeah, okay, that might have worked as a plot in one of your books. Come to find out Higgins is behind him. And he makes his presence known. He then gets into a karate stance of some sort. There is a struggle. Jessica hits him in the back of the head. Not Higgins, but Victor in the back of the head with her purse, which, you know, Gives uh, just an, enough seconds for Higgins to kind of get the upper hand. Two stunt doubles roll around on the ground pretending to be Victor <laughs> Higgins. <laughs> that was the comic relief there because this, ooh, this was scary. And so, at some point, Victor just gets up and runs out the door. <laughs> He's like, "And scene," and runs out the door. <laughs> And Jessica is like, oh my goodness, thank you, Higgins. Like, if you hadn't come in when you did, who knows what would have happened. You did an excellent job. You know, are you okay? He's like, yeah, it's just a a flesh wound. So now they're, I don't know if they're in Jessica's room. I don't know if this is like a, you know, a lounge situation within the hotel on the upper floors. You know, like certain levels on you know, high levels in fancy hotels will have like a lounge for those like a penthouse situation or like a gold level or silver silver level, you know, lounge. So maybe that's what that is. And that's why everyone has access to it. So that's what I'm going to guess this room is. And so Amy gives the case to Higgins and ask him to put it in the hotel safe she's like Jessica you were right I should have done that you know this is really scary I'm gonna go pack my stuff so we can leave and so Higgins picks up the box after she leaves and it's empty right so like everybody's confused about this and we never come back around to find out what the deal is and why it's missing and so We find out from Higgins that he has still not been able to get in touch with Robin. However, Joan is the one who bailed Magnum out. Dot, dot, dot. Okay, so (laughs) the next scene, we are seeing Joan leave her room and Jessica step out of hers. She, She then finds a maid from the hotel and says, and this is Jessica, says that she locks herself out of her room and the maid helps her or housekeeping. I'll call her housekeeping. Helps her. She has the master key. She lets her in. She's like, oh, you know, people don't tip and thank you so much for the tip. I can help you find the key. She's like, no, I left it by the beach. It's like, oh, okay, well I can have them, you know, find it for you whatever she was like I can I can help you I can help you and I'm like just give this woman some more money so she can go on about her day she wants to help you because then you'll give her more money just give her more money up front and, <laughs> and let her go so the woman finally leaves and Jessica is searching through Joan's room we then see Joan downstairs coming into the hotel And the person at the desk calls her over and is like, here, I was told that you lost your key. Here's a replacement. And so Joan, of course, then goes directly up to her room. She opens the door. Jessica hears her and like closes up the suitcases and then comes walking out of her room like, oh, you know, I couldn't find my aspirin. So I came in here. The maid was in here. So that's how I got in. Because I'm... I would never call down to the front desk to ask them for aspirin, Advil, Tylenol, you know, ibuprofen, you know. No, I wouldn't do that. I would just come into your room and search through your stuff for it. Anyway, this was not Jessica's best lie, okay? (laughs) She didn't have time to come up with a real good cover story and she did the best that she could do. So she notices that, or makes note to Joan that her bags are packed. Like, are you leaving? And she's like, yeah, I just have one more thing to take care of, you know, before I went. And Jessica's like, oh yeah, you had to get rid of the stolen gun and the silencer. And Joan is like, what are you, what are you talking about? And Jessica says, well, you know what? Leaving the hat at the murder scene was effective, but it was a mistake. You had to have taken it before Mayfield was killed, meaning that you had planned to kill Arthur Houston from the time you got here. So from the very first day you were here, you already came in with a plan to frame Magnum for the murder of Arthur Houston. And so... Jessica was like, you were the target the whole time and you wouldn't sell to Houston. And Joan was like, no, I wouldn't. You know, I helped build the company. I put in more to building the company than my husband did. And so when he died, I finally had the opportunity to take the company public and grow it the way I wanted to grow it. And I told Arthur I was not going to sell my company and he would not take no for an answer. And I find out that he hired a hitman to kill me. I had decided to come down here to tell him face to face that I was not going to sell the company. But then we almost get run off the road and there was that other attempt. So I knew there was only one way out of this. And that was to kill Arthur Houston. And so she then says, men always underestimate me. That is the key to my success. And so Jessica's like, oh, well, like you didn't have to kill him. She's like, that's the only way it was. Now, my thing is, even before, now, I don't know. if She found out back in New York. I'm assuming they're from New York or Maine. We'll say New York. I'm assuming that back in New York, she must've found out that he hired a hitman, because like, why would she have taken, well, no, no, no. I take that back. I take that back because by the time she got to the house, they had already been that, they had already been run off the road and she put two and two together and was like, oh, I'm in Hawaii now where he is based. He's hired somebody to murder me. Okay. I have to murder him. Let me get this set up real quick, fast and in a hurry. So, okay, no, I get get it. That she had not planned to kill him until he had someone try to kill her on the way from the airport. So Joan then says, all right, well, now I'm going to have to write you off and debit Mr. Magnum's account. Are you serious? Are you serious? I love it and hate it at the very same time. And so... Magnum is like making his way across the outside ledge of the hotel. He then comes in through the open sliding glass window. He confronts Joan, who's like, I'm not putting down the gun. You don't have a gun. So why would I put down my gun? You're not a threat to me. And he's like, I called the police. She's like, why would you call the police if you're the one they're looking for? And then there's a knock on the door and they are like, police. Joan then turns around and fires a shot at the door. Is she trying to get everybody murdered? Because that's what it seems like she's trying to do. So the police bust in. There's two uniformed officers and Captain Browning. They have their guns drawn. And in the interim, Magnum has grabbed the gun out of Joan's hand and he's holding it up. She's like stepping on his toe. He's like pushing her out the way. Jessica steps up and she's like, no, 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 no. This is not what it looks like. It's not what it looks like. And Magnum's like, I can explain. She's like, no, I will explain what happens. And so he then looks up and sees that he's holding a gun with a silencer, the murder weapon in his hands. And thankfully he keeps his trap shut. Okay. (laughs) Anyway, we found out that Magnum received a message, I guess at the jail, telling him to go to the estate to speak with Higgins. So the message was allegedly from Higgins, telling him to go to the estate um, to find him. So we wrap this all up uh, at the house. We find out that the Jewel's do belong to Amy, that Victor was arrested, so now Amy can move on with her life, giving her at least some peace for some period of time. And Higgins definitely has a liking or has taken a liking to Jessica. He is planning to take her to the airport, and Magnum is like, hey, like, I no, I already said that I was gonna take her, unless. You know you have something to discuss with her, and he's like "Well, um, uh, yeah, well, uh, uh,, mm, yeah, you know, I was thinking of taking a holiday in Maine, and I was wondering if you had any restaurant recommendations, and so <laughs> poor Higgins, like honestly, he's like trying to catch a rap with Jessica, and Magnum's over here like." <laughs> I'm going to make you come out your shell. You want to talk to her? I'm going to be there to make sure you do. Now, I don't think Magnum was trying to block him at all. I think that he was trying to get Higgins to kind of make a move. Like, oh, no, no, no. Put your, you know, put yourself out there. Make it known what you're trying to do. Don't try to hem and haw around this. You know, she is a very classy lady, you know, be upfront. So we end with Jessica and Magnum talking. And he says, Jessica, if you promise not to take out a private investigator's license, I promise not to buy a typewriter. And Jessica's like, deal. (laughs) He puts his hand out for a handshake. She puts her hand out for a, a five And they slap five and laugh ending the episode. So this was a good episode. However, I think that it takes it up a notch when you watch both of them. So for the many times that I've watched this episode alone, Magnum on Ice, it was fine. Like it was fine. But there definitely are... Clues and facts and introductions and information that you get from watching Novel Connection. So watching them both really does make a difference. I will say it really does make a difference. So I will be trying to catch both of them. (laughs) Since they're in different seasons, they don't run on like Cozy and WGN at the same pace. So you kind of have to DVR one and then the other, and then watch them back to back. So anyway, my suggestion is to watch both of them back to back. It will make a lot more sense. And it's just a better watch that way. So next week, we will be talking about obituary of a dead anchor. Okay? Yeah. No, it's not a bad episode, so I I don't want you to think that it's a bad episode, but we'll get through it. We'll get through it. I vaguely remember it as, oh, definitely a watchable episode, definitely a watchable episode on the better side of okay. Now, I may watch it again and write up notes and absolutely adore it. I may watch it, take notes, and hate every character except Jessica, (laughs) It's a Cabot Cove episode. So it's a Cabot Cove episode. Amos is still there with us. So that's always fun. That's always fun to have a Cabot Cove episode with Amos and Seth and Jessica. So it'll be a good one. For that alone. Like for that alone. Anything else is icing on the cake. So you guys can get in touch with me via Instagram at the Fletcher Files pod on Instagram, on Facebook on the Fletcher Files pod Facebook page, or via my website, the Fletcher Files okay. <laughs> Or is it the? it might be the Fletcher <laughs> That's terrible. Or with the most preferable, most preferable, Right is to join Patreon and you can hit me up there. In addition to other great content, I have the first part of this episode, Novel Connection, in case you didn't know that from the 15 times I said it throughout this episode. (laughs) Anyway, you guys have an amazing week. I will see you next week, Sunday at 5 p.m. for Obituary of a Dead Anchor. Now, It would have been so much better if this had lined up for Night of the Headless Horseman for Halloween because next Sunday is Halloween, but you get what you get, obituary of a dead anchor, okay? (laughs) Anyway, of course, we need a bit of a break from all the Halloween stuff and the Thanksgiving stuff that they're already putting in and the Christmas stuff that's right next to it but anyway, we'll have a good time as always. So until then, have an amazing week. Bye.